There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome, 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 folks, to this New Caribbean episode, Obia, Mermaids, and Magic. So, for this episode, we're going to be covering a book called Obia, Witchcraft in the West Indies, written by Heskef J. Bell. I've done no research on the man, but I'm assuming he's an Englishman, maybe American, but he was based in Grenada in the 1890s. I'm not too sure why he was there, and it to me is not really that important why he was there. But the irony of a lot of these writings by white men and women, when they're documenting things and saying things about black people in degrading ways, or oh, the Negroes do this, the N-words do that, or in this instance, he calls them quashi, which I'll get into that history in a moment. And he's speaking about it like, oh, they're doing this foolishness and this is craziness and this kind of madness and how they're so silly and whatever. But in their efforts to degrade the legacy of black people, all they are doing is cementing our history, our culture. Because when you go through this book, even though you have to navigate around his very belittling language, all he's doing is talking about things like calendar. He's talking about Mama Glow. He's talking about different aspects of Obia. He's talking about the Sukuya. And all of these things are aspects of our culture that millions of Caribbean people engage with. So all it's saying is that, oh, this is what our ancestors did. Okay, so we just continue the legacy. So as much as they tried, they failed because we're still here and we're still doing it. And when I read these books, it doesn't hurt me it gives me joy actually because i'm like yes i am seeing myself in these books but i've just kind of put on i put on like a pair of glasses that just filters out the bullshits right in terms of how they talk and i'm just seeing the magic of ourselves so work with me folks as we get into this book obia witchcraft in the west indies okay so i'm gonna set this scene he has gone for a horse ride on his pony, I guess, to go and check out the scenery or whatever and take his mind off of stuff. And he says this, The shadows thicken, and the night will soon be on me. So, remounting my pony, once more I pursue the road which now goes downhill towards the coral coast of the windward shore. 
the birds overhead are twittering in the evening chat and the glistening fireflies hover over the little silver streamlets which from time to time i have yet to ford a quick question you don't find fireflies are dying out back home i find i'm seeing them less and less as a child growing up i used to see fireflies all over the place and it's only in certain areas i see them let me know what y'all think a glorious full moon now sheds its cool weird beams over the scene and replaces the faded rays of the setting sun the pure white light soon reigns supreme and the shadows cast by the feathery bamboos skirting the road seem almost as dark as those made by the midday sun everything is still and quiet not a house nor a hut for miles around the weird cry of the owl is heard echoing through the virgin forest on either side of the path and the cling cling of the blacksmith frog joins the mournful croak of the toad in his swampy home suddenly a curious sound strikes my ear my pony hears it too and pricks his ears forward as if in apprehension of something uncanny gradually the sound grows louder and louder louder and nearer and i have to calm my restive nag which snorts and now then makes a frightened little shy I soon recognize the sound of human voices and presently on turning a corner come in view of a curious procession reining my pony I stand in the gutter to allow the people to pass first came four or five stalwart negroes carrying pink red and white flags followed by a group of old women dressed up in red cotton frocks with veils of the same material covering their heads and topped with a chaplet Chaplet, chaplets, a C H A P L E T. I'll say chaplet, and topped with a chaplet of some green feathering creeping plant, which grows in profusion in the high woods. Then came more elderly females, some clad in blue cotton, all dancing frantically to the sound of the most barbarous music, which followed them. So you see. This is what I'm talking about in moments like this when he's like the most barbarous music. I am like, yo, it was lit. Some fire piece of drumming was going down. Because that's the only reason why they call it barbarous. Anything to do with drumming, anything that's very Afrocentric, very African-centered, they would call heathenish, they would call um, barbaric, all of that. So, I mean, isn't that a beautiful scene to see like, people carrying pink, red, and white flags. I wonder what those colors mean. To see the women dressed in red cotton frocks with veils, so red dresses with red veils. And then to also have some kind of vine wrapped around the top. I mean, that sounds beautiful already. And then to have some in blue, and they're all dancing to this music. Three or four men carried in their hands large empty gourds covered over with a loose network of small porcelain shirt buttons which they kept continually shaking thus making a loud rustling sound ah so it's like a shak shak gotcha serving as an accompaniment to the wild sort of song or refrain yelled out in the most minor of minor keys by the whole of the assistants the rare was brought up by an indiscriminate gathering of negroes all dancing away furiously 
all decked with sprays of the same green creeper. I wonder what vine that was. Questioning one of these followers, I learned that the procession was on its way to the Grand Etang, which is a huge lake in Grenada. The supposed home of a mamaglu, or siren, or siren, whom they were going to propitiate by sundry sacrifices of goats and fowls in order to obtain her for a few showers of rain, which was sadly needed for the young corn just planted. Most of these people were old Africans, although nominally Christians and perhaps communicants, still clung to the old superstition of the land of their birth, and now withstanding the lessons taught them for the last 50 years by priests and persons of all denominations, evidently repose more trust in the power of their old Congo divinities than in the god of the Bakara, or white people. So yes, Bakra is something you see a lot that they call them that across like the whole Caribbean, Bakra, and also in the southern U.S. in the Carolinas as well. They believe that the little mountain lake, as well as some of the mineral springs found in the island, are the haunts of the mermaid, or as they call her in Creole Patois, Mother of Water. Mother of Water, I don't know how that's Creole Patois, that just sounds like normal English, but okay. In whose power it is to grant them welcome showers of rain in season or if offended will withhold these bounties and unless propitiated ruin the prospects of a good crop of corn or other produce in which they depend arrived at the grand Etang, the old women of the procession would commence an endless prayer or incantation addressed to the mama glow accompanied no doubt by the sacrifice of a black goat and some white fowls and the siren once considered satisfied the ceremony would conclude by an African dance to the inspiriting sound of the tom-tom or drum, lasting till daylight when they all would peaceably return to their avocations and would most likely be seen next Sunday hurrying to their church dressed out in their best toggery. I mean, that's something you found a lot eh? in terms of how our ancestors still, and I think, you know what, we still do that. Like, we still believe in certain things. People may call them superstitions or whatever. But we still believe in certain things and still also believe in mostly the Christian church and we go to church and all of that. So a lot of what he's saying there is things that we still do as well. Maybe not so much. Um, for most of us, do not go and do ceremonies to Mama Globe. But we do have a few of the things that we still hold on to. It's a few of the beliefs, like things like Laja Bless or the Sukuya or other um, folklore spirits within our cultures, in our respective cultures, right? So he goes on to say this. Rhea, the goddess of dance, I was like, who's Rhea? So I checked, that's the Greek goddess of dance, has no more enthusiastic votarieties than the Negroes. Dancing with them seems as natural as walking or eating. Damn right, don't know. That is very, very true. Um, and that's so amazing to see that how people say like you know black people just are just great at dancing and even back then it was recognized so even when he's trying to say it in a way that's like oh they just that's all it was just dance it's like yeah actually we're amazing so yes dancing with them seems as natural as walking or eating and not one can resist the sound of anything approaching to music without breaking out into a fantastic passole that's french i'm not too sure what that means but i think i can get the gist of what he's saying 
Dancing is one of the most ancient of the arts and might almost be called a passion amongst the uncivilized races. So you see what I'm saying about the language? But it don't touch me, don't face me, because I know what he means by the uncivilized races, which is black and brown people. And yes, it is a passion of ours. It's joyful. It is what we do to survive. Dance is integral in our culture. Unseasoned people may not just get that. Anyways, so he says, joy or sorrow, birth or death, defeat or victory, all form pretext with Africans for a dance of some sort. And many of these fantastic measures were introduced to the West Indies by the enslaved, he said slaves, but I'm changing it, by the enslaved imported from Africa. Notwithstanding the progress made by many of them in manners and education, their old African dances die hard and, in their opinion, are but inadequately replaced by the more civilized quadrille parties taken up by the upper class of the Negroes. Music hath charms to soothe the savage beast. It is generally believed. But certainly the breasts of these blacks can hardly be savage to be soothed by the music in which they delight. So basically he's saying music can soothe the most savage of beasts, right? But the music that black people in the Caribbean listen to is doing quite the opposite. That's basically what he's saying. Once the daily task is done and an even meal of salt fish and plantain disposed of, the music-loving Negro brings out his tom-tom, sits in front of his little hut, and right through the small hours of the night with the monotonous thump-thump of that untiring performer resound over hill and dale. I have seen this countless times in so many books of people who have recorded life on plantations. Now, this is post-emancipation. This is 60 years after um, emancipation. And during period of enslavement and after, but one of the things that they observe is like, yo, black people don't get tired. Like, they just never get tired. They're just dancing whole night. The drummer never stop. They'd be pouring down quote-unquote copious streams of sweat but they would not stop i've seen that in barbados i've seen that in suriname i've seen it in cuba um i've seen it in martinique and now here in grenada it is a common thread that i saw in terms of what our ancestors were doing and like drumming dance integral to their in my opinion survival so he goes on to say this Notwithstanding what all planters will say, it must be acknowledged that there is something very pleasing in the sound of the tom-tom beaten about half a mile off. Oh, interesting. When everything else is still and quiet, and the sound of the rippling river close by mingles with the hum of countless insects, the thump-thump of the tom-tom, mellowed by distance, seems to furnish a fit accompaniment to the music of nature and lulls one to sleep in a charming manner. But alas, for the unfortunate being whose nearest neighbor is a performer of the drum, loud and deep are the curses called down upon that persevering negro's head as the small hours of the night find the weary planter tossing relentlessly in his sleepless couch, forced to listen to the untiring efforts of his musical neighbor. I love this. I love this for so many reasons. Number one is the fact that in many of the slave codes, the laws that were created like since the 1600s and kept being revised and things added was the banning of the drum. 
and we've spoken about this quite a lot on Noya Caribbean in terms of how the banning of the drum has um, led to the creation of many things like steel pan, has led to things like the being the catalyst for emancipation for enslaved people in Martinique because an enslaved man called Romain was playing his drum. He was punished. It ended up being the thing, the catalyst to this huge revolt and put pressure on the French government to emancipate the enslaved people. Then the banning of the drum just led to the development of all different kinds of other uh, percussion and music across the Caribbean, also in Cuba. So knowing that enslaved people were punished for playing the drum, some of them were punished very brutally, or the quarters of enslaved people would be raided and their drums would be burned or any musical instruments would be burned. To now this, where you still find white planters living in the Caribbean, and your Caribbean people drumming, we do it our thing, man, up until the late hours of the night. And disturbing whoever, right? Without this fear of these awful punishments that existed before. I personally find that this little passage here of this neighbor who's drumming through the night, these are things that resistance, these are things that saying, I am here and I'm not going nowhere and I'm going to be loud and proud into the late hours of the night doing this. So these are the things I love to find. So before I continue on with this chapter, how about we take a nice musical break with some Kalinda music from Trinidad and Tobago. Stay tuned as we have much more to come. More mermaids or mama glow or la sirene, whatever you call her, mami water. We also have obia and rainmakers. What does that mean? Stay tuned for the next portion of the episode. Obia, Mermaids, and Magic. So before we continue, one of the things you'll notice in this book is that he refers to black people as Kwashi. What is that? Now, I've heard lots of older Caribbean people use the term Kwashi to more or less describe people who are acting quote-unquote ghetto. If someone is too loud or too brash in their opinion or if they litter a lot, they'll say, oh, Kwashi, right? But Kwashi is, well, how in which they spell it here, is a Ghanaian name. And it's a very common Ghanaian name. So I don't think I'm pronouncing it properly, right? Some people say it's probably Kwesi. But you'd find the spelling Q-U-A-S-H-I-E in a lot of the records for the plantation records, the names of enslaved people or in the ship records. You put Kwashi. And then because a lot of people came across from Ghana, and it was seemed to be a popular name it was used as a name to just encompass anybody black so you say kwashi right so we're going to continue with the book 
and you can see that the word kwashi or the name kwashi comes up or it could be kweshi so it's kweshi kweshi maybe it's like that it is puzzling to know what the mysterious charm can be which encourages the not over energetic kweshi kwashi kwesi so far as work is concerned to beat for hours and hours the piece of goat skin stretched across a small empty barrel which constitutes the instrument he is so proficient a performer on i once had as a near neighbor an old african named moses whose particular forte was the tom-tom and every night from dewy eve till early morn my dusky friend dusky dark my dusky friend wake the hours of the night with his doleful performance often and often i would expostulate him and beg him to let me into the secret of the charm lying in a tom-tom ah massa it's so we do in the congo was all i could extract from him and perhaps on my representing to him that he would finally be the death of me through the sleepless nights he caused me the tom-tom would be silent for a night or two but alas Human nature is weak, and perhaps Moses found that he could not exist without his nightly performance. And as I would be settling off comfortably on my left side for a good snooze till morning, that woeful thump thump once more would wake the echoes of the valley, and sleep could not be coaxed back for many a long hour. Finally, Moses died. I did not mourn for him, nor did I think his death untimely. Well, burn him uh the author big up moses yeah big up moses and as he says perhaps moses found that he could not exist without playing the drum and i truly truly feel that i truly feel it i believe it i think that our community cannot survive without that we would be like shadows of our former selves we would be um walking skeletons almost you know um because we don't have that thing that is fulfilling us in that way which is the beat of the drum i fully fully believe in that so he goes on to say this in former years when african enslaved were being imported to these islands the negroes used to indulge in a variety of dances some of which were unfortunately so indecent and voluptuous i love that indecent and voluptuous yes my wine is indecent and voluptuous that's my aim for me to have the most voluptuous wine so i love these descriptions in terms of how they think it's so awful and i'm like yes yes it was indecent and voluptuous so it says was so indecent and voluptuous that laws were enacted to forbid their practice but we're still whining today anyway the government of these colonies repressed these dances, no doubt as much on account of the danger consequent on gathering together of so many enslaved in one place, as for the moral damage it did for the Negroes. So two things, in terms of enslaved people gathering, so Article 16 of the Code Noir, which was one of the codes that were used, especially in the French colonies, um, is banning of music, dancing, nothing you cannot gather in groups because for one it was you're engaging in indecent dance number one and number two they're like yo they just gathered in groups and they can start to plan like a revolt and so those are the two things and they also felt like the drum incited 
a certain spirit of resistance so if everyone is gathered together and they're dancing and they're doing their thing and they're like yo and they're reconnecting to themselves right and they're remembering who they are then it's going to ignite a certain flame of resistance within the heart of the enslaved people and they were like we can't have that so those things were those are the two reasons why these things were banned on top of the whole be a good christian and you have to be pious and whatever right so he goes on to say in the time of slavery if the owner of a plantation did allow his enslaved to dance on the estate they would think nothing of walking eight or ten miles on saturday nights to some place where the dance was to be given and many of the outbreaks and rebellions of the enslaved were no doubt concocted under the cover of those gatherings you see I told y'all they were shook one of their favorite dances was called the calendar or some people call it kalinda but yes the kalinda was supposed to have been introduced from ada a country on the coast of guinea i'm not too sure where exactly ada is um i tried checking but i couldn't find so it would either be somewhere of course either west or central africa because in some of my research it says that kalinda comes from the congo region which would be the Congo region extends into Angola as well. It's not necessarily just the Democratic Republic of Congo and so on, but it would kind of extend into that kind of West Central region of um, Africa. So he says, although its figures and postures are very improper, I love this, it became a great favorite, especially in Spanish colonies, and it was much patronized even by the upper classes. The old Congo Negroes used to be very fond of the most solemn part of a dance and one in which even the most violent opponents of the ballet could find but little fault. The performers, men and women, stood round in a ring, just lifted one foot from the ground, bringing it down again with a stamp in a sort of cadence, continually bowing to each other and muttering some refrains started by one of them, clapping their hands in the while. This dance had certainly nothing in it to shock decency, but unfortunately did not seem to amuse them much, and they by all far preferred the objectionable calendar. The favorite dance of the Negro houses at present is one called a belle. Well, you can find belle in all kinds of places. You can find it in Trinidad and Tobago, you can find it in Martinique, Guadeloupe, St. Lucia, Dominica, you can find it in uh, Grenada, you can find it in St. Vincent. Tell me if you can find it in your country as well. But it is a very, very popular dance and it's so beautiful to see that it existed so long ago as well. The music for it is furnished by two drums, fashioned out pieces of the trunks of trees hollowed out in different depths or small empty barrels. One of the ends is open and the other covered with a goat's or sheepskin scraped like parchment and tightly stretched across. The largest is generally three or four feet in length with a diameter of 15 or 16 inches. The smaller one called a babula. But you know they have things called a bambula, um, especially in the Virgin Islands as well. A dance which looks just like Berlin is called bambula is about the same length and is only eight or nine inches in diameter these drums are held between the legs of the performers and struck with the tips of the forefingers of each hand the player on the larger drum beats in time and slowly 
while the performer on the babula beats away as fast as he can and hardly in time. But as its sound is much less powerful, though sharper than that of the big drum, it serves to make a noise without marking the cadence of the time or the movement of the dancers. These place themselves in two lines or sometimes in a circle and dance and jump and pirouette to their heart's content. This is beautiful, man. I, I love finding these moments of, of joy. You know, sometimes it just feels like it's very few and far between, but I just loved dancing and pirouetting to their heart's content. I love this. Meanwhile, one of them is chosen to sing a song, which he improvises as he goes along on a given subject. Each line ending with a short refrain and taken up by all the dancers. So this is one of the things too also in terms of how the developments of calypso music and so on because coming from um calendar where you'd have as he says there is someone who is the the chantuel uh who is the song maker and they would create a song based on maybe any topic right but a lot of topics would be social commentary political stuff things that's happening within their community and sometimes the songs will get popular and travel to different areas on the islands and you know this is how because those who did not have access to writing their own newspapers or to have platforms calendar music became a means of sometimes criticizing your master sometimes criticizing the whole entire system of the society you live in provoking them ridiculing them but it was definitely a means of empowering the society so calendar music is the roots of calypso music and how we use music as social commentary even from this white man's perspective all he's doing is just documenting and cementing all the things that we just needed to reconnect ourselves to he goes on to say the song generally has some sort of melody as if it might be called so but the tune is always in such a very minor key as to be very difficult to catch by the unaccustomed ear the subject of the improvisator is very often some person known to them all, such as the manager of the plantation or overseer. And the chant varies from extreme adulation, especially if provoked by a donation of rum or gin, to the very reverse of complimentary if the manager has had some cause to cut down or deprive them of their wages. You see? Same thing in terms of they're speaking about what's happening in their society. So either they'll big you up or they'll mash you up. And you do find that even now, when you look at calypso music how politicians use calypsonians to create a song in order to share commentary to either big up or mash down somebody they still do that today politicians will make sure they will get like a good calypso made because they understand the power of music and that this is something that has been interwoven into our society the use of music for a social and political commentary so this is where it comes from as a belle frequently lasts from nightfall to next morning, one would imagine they would have soon exhausted every subject since the deluge. But still they go on and apparently the minstrel must be gifted with marvelous originality to judge by the entrain and spirit with which the refrain is taken up. So there we go. That's a little excerpt about belle, tom-tom, music, all those kind of things, calendar. I love seeing all of these reconnections or just kind of connecting the dots, you know? We're going to have a brief musical break, folks, before we come back to our final section of the podcast. And how about some belly music? 
to look five years younger. In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back, folks, to our final segment of Obia, Magic, and Mermaids. So in chapter four of the book, Obia, which grabs in the West Indies, it begins like this. Anything Kwashi fails to understand and which appeals to his imagination, it is at once endued by him with much mystery and looked upon with awe and veneration. Accordingly, warm mineral springs, of which there are several in Grenada, are looked upon with a certain proportion of dread and supposed by the Negroes to be the haunts of the certain naiads or water nymphs called by them Mama Glow or Mother of Water. Some of these mineral springs are very curious and well worthy of attention. This mephitic spring, as it is called, is considered very uncanny and its vicinity is shunned by the blacks. These medicinal springs, although undoubtedly possessing 
beneficial qualities for the alleviation of certain diseases are but little known and no qualified person has yet undertaken a correct analysis of their waters. Hearing the curious spring forming the source of a small river, the water of which cattle would not drink, I rode to the place and after much inquiry, I did find an old woman who said that she could show me the spring I wished to see. Engaging her as my Cicerone, we soon arrived at a clump of bush and calabash trees, in the midst of which had been erected a small thatched shed, surrounded by bamboo stuck into the ground and bearing long flag-like strips of red and white cotton stuff. From the queer-looking odds and ends disposed about the place, I made sure that I was in a temple dedicated to some mysterious rites and ceremonies, and in fact, my guide informed me that frequently Africans old creoles and sometimes coolies came here to pray and dance so of course the word coolie is an offensive term to describe um indentured laborers who came from india and it's something that we still use today but it is the use of it is quite a contentious topic whether it is seen as offensive or a descriptive term but the roots of it stem from colonial racism so let's uh continue and yes, he does use the word uh, coolies quite a lot in the book and quashi. So all of these are derogatory terms to describe black and brown people. But he goes on to say this, around the shed were bamboos disposed as to form seats and at the upper end were erected a sort of small altar on which were placed the most mysterious collection of objects. A broken cutlass was stuck into the ground between a thick tumbler and an empty oil bottle while in front of it were two earthenware native-made jugs, one filled with flowers, the other with cola nuts. And next to this, presenting a striking incongruity, was erected a rough wooden cross, looking anything but at home in that outlandish company. Now, I find this quite interesting because you can see that there are offerings which sound really beautiful. So it's like a bottle of oil, cola nuts and flowers these things i find very beautiful and then you know sometimes when you go to christian churches on the altars in the front they'll have things like candles flowers there's wine and bread in the same way you'd find in a lot of um vodun ceremonies they'll have rum or sometimes uh barum as well to clean your hands and or florida water flowers sweets uh cigars chocolates popcorn so you know, when we're looking at all of these things in terms of our African spirituality, quote-unquote demonic and heathenish it is, I see so much beauty like flowers, cola nuts, some oil. But let's go on. The most remarkable object, however, was at the other end of the shed and was a low mound of hard, gravelly clay, bearing on its surface a thick incrustation of salt and silicous matter. In the center of the mound was a round hole nearly two feet in diameter and about four feet deep, half filled with clear water which bubbled up in a gurgling noise at intervals at about half a minute. Taking a bamboo about eight feet long, I was able to thrust its whole length down through the sandy bottom of the spring. On the drawing the stick, the water bubbled up two or three inches higher than its previous level. On examining the water, I found it saline, acidous, and very disagreeable to the taste, like brackish seawater with a strong smell and flavor of iron. Around the orifice of the spring were disposed bunches of oleander flowers and small heaps of cola nuts, evidently votive offerings laid there to propitiate some presiding spirit. 
small bags containing a most heterogeneous lot of articles, rusty nails, feathers, and fish bones, and such like, quote-unquote, obia, were suspended on the branches of bushes all around. The old woman who acted as my guide and informed me that Africans and old Creoles came here frequently to pray to Mama Glow or Siren, who was supposed to preside over the spring. Indeed, not later than the night before, a party of Negroes had stayed there several hours, and after sundry rites and ceremonies during which a black cock and a white goat had been sacrificed, and copious drafts of water imbibed, tempered no doubt by the little drop of the crater, and finished with an African dance to the sound of the tom-tom in front of the spring. I understood from the old woman that the water taken internally was highly considered as a tonic and that the course of baths was very efficacious in rheumatism, scrofula, and other cutaneous diseases, in fact. And so what he goes on to say here is that how their water is used as a tonic um, to heal certain diseases like scrofula, rheumatism, and yours, which is something that was very predominant in the Caribbean um, up until the mid 20th century. So we're going to move on to our final, final story, which is about rainmakers. Rainmakers, rainmaking, those who can conjure rain, you know, dry season is be dread. We call it guava season. And, you know, in terms of the fact that within the Caribbean, we are or were predominantly agricultural states in terms of growing sugar or whatever it is and we needed water so those who could conjure water but here comes a very mysterious story coming in from saint lucia that he retells here in his book in one of the stories in the books he talks about a mysterious shower of stones which i will tell in another podcast episode i wanted to tell this story here and it goes like this another most astonishing and as accountable mystery happened a few years ago in saint lucia in connection with a little girl who possessed the undesirable power of causing rain to fall wherever she might be. The first shower came on quite suddenly and one day the mother of the child was astounded on being told that rain was falling in the bedroom at the moment occupied by her little girl. Rushing upstairs at once, the lady did actually find a smart shower falling from the ceiling and soaking into the floor. Umbrellas had to be called into immediate requisition in order to investigate the mystery. It could only, however, be constated, quote-unquote, that although perfectly fine and dry outside, rain was undoubtedly falling in broad daylight in the room occupied by the little girl. The child was taken into another room with the immediate effect of producing another equally smart shower, whereas the room she had just vacated became quite dry again. The unfortunate little girl was hurried from one room to another, upstairs and down again, only with the same variable effect. She was ultimately taken to the garden in the hope that she might water some beds of vegetables which sadly needed irrigation. But unfortunately, this watery little girl obtained no effect outside and was only found to cause showers in undesirable places such as bedrooms and kitchens. The news was soon brutal out and numbers came to see the young phenomenon. The poor child was in imminent danger of catching her death of cold. But happily, this attack of spontaneous waterworks only lasted a day or two, during which the time the unhappy little girl had to be accommodated in the wash house, where her watery powers were duly appreciated and turned into profit. 
all joking apart though this wonderful incident really did occur as numbers of residents in senusha can testify nor this case is a solitary one now i'm from saint lucia and i've never heard that story before or even the concept of rainmaking at all so i think that one quite 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 interesting so i'd love to kind of dig a little bit deeper to try and find some more things about this but finally Pierre Labat, Father Labat, I've mentioned him so many times in the podcast and on the page. He was a French priest who was living between Martinique and Guadeloupe. And there's a rum named after him and all of that. But he documented a lot in terms of our indigenous people, life on the plantation. He engaged heavily with the slave trade and the management of enslaved people because the Catholic Church did own a lot of enslaved people in the Caribbean alongside the Anglican Church and so on. But um, yes, one of the, I think the second largest plantation in Martinique at the time Pelabat was there was run by nuns. So yeah, <laughs> I digress. But Pelabat says this, and this was part of the, the Ovia book. It goes on to say, in many parts of Central Africa, the medicine men are credited by their fellow savages. See what I mean about the language? but I know exactly who they're talking about. With the power of causing rain to fall, in fact, this is their principal function. No one would think of believing in this power. Yet, Pele Abad gives a most wonderful anecdote relative to rain falling at the command of a Negro. And one can evidently see by the good old father's words, he wasn't a good old father. I need to interject right here. He was an awful man. He was abhorrently racist um he said that black people were the devil he had no regard for any form of african culture any form of in terms of just morality surrounding uh the slave trade and the management of enslaved people on the plantations the way he spoke about black and brown people is absolutely vile but just like this guy here um, Hesketh J. Bell, he documented a lot. So in his efforts to disparage black and brown people, all he did was preserve their culture and cement it for us so that we can have a paper trail and memory of these things, these things that we're still connected to today. So he's only helped to just connect the dots even further. So thank you, Pela Bats, even though that was not your intention. So it says... One can evidently see by the good old father's words that he more than half believes in the truth of the anecdote. He relates how once in Dominica or Martinique, the island was suffering from a protracted drought and the convent garden was especially dry and unproductive. The good fathers were in despair and seeing their crops of vegetables and herbs withering away and daily prayers for rain were offered up. One especially dry morning, Pela Bat was astounded by the proposal of a young black enslaved person, not just slave, like was written in a book, who offered to cause the rain to fall in a very short time. The more the father laughed at his pretensions, the more the enslaved boy persisted in his assertions of being able to produce rain at will. There not being a cloud in the sky and not the faintest sign of rain, Pelabad gave him full permission to try all he knew. The boy thereupon began to mutter a long African spell and a worthy father most solemnly averse that in less than an hour, 
a small cloud appeared. And as it passed over the convent, the garden received a fine drenching shower. The rain, he goes on to say, fell nowhere else. And the pious Dominican hastens to say how he reproved the boy for his evident intercourse with the devil. And there and then exercised the evil spirit in which the boy was possessed. Isn't that the biggest piece of ungrateful bullshit you've ever heard? Like, you want the rain or not? So you, you're praying to your God and it's not happening. And he prays to his God and it's instantly the devil. So anything that's not uh, why Jesus is the devil. Okay? And so he would have he would have beaten the boy and performed an exorcism on him in, in response to the rain being able to fall on his garden. It's a lot, eh? it's a lot, it's a lot, I tell you. So folks, this is the closing of this episode. There is so much more to this book um, in terms of connecting to some of our spiritual beliefs and things that we used to do that we still do today. It's an interesting read is what I'll say, but I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode as we reconnect the dots they tried to erase away, but they did not win. And big up everyone out there who is indulging in the indecency in the voluptuous wine. I will see you next time. Thank you for listening.
vinaigre ni malédiction, milat la pas ni bon bénédiction. Les hommes gavés va et bien mais pas chercher moi dedans à Dieu. Moi monsieur King Kong, moi habillé en noir, manqué défendre comme moi, ma brise bon pour la filer. Manqué passer Volga, manqué piger Sifon, manqué passer Trinel pour moi masquer bête tout seul. C'est pas moi qui finis, c'est une qui voyez moi. En final au mi moi mi ou en final au En signal au mi moi mi ou en signal au en signal au dio mampan en signal au baby wababa oh baby wababa baby wababa oh baby wababa baby wababa oh baby wababa oh Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.